The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. And if you'll turn in your copies of God's Word to Luke 19. Children, you can make your way to my left. Your right, my left. If you don't know right and left, just follow somebody. There'll be some there to greet you and help you. Good time of worship and teaching in the Children's Worship Center. If you'll, There's a note sheet provided for you today in our fourth study on Christian stewardship, lifestyle stewardship for Christ. And, um, and if you will, take a look at that. Uh, and uh, we'll begin here in Luke 19. If you're visiting and don't have a Bible, please use the Pew Bible. If you don't yet own a Bible, then we'll make that as a gift to you. Stop and see me and uh, let me give you a little Bible study guide to go with it. Visitors, please come by and see Cindy and I. Now, will you look with me in Luke 19? This is a wonderful parable. I want you to follow along with me. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. And he said, therefore, a noble man went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then returned. Calling ten of his servants, he gave to them ten minas and said to them, engage in business. Do literally do business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. So when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good and faith, good servant, because you have been found faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second one came and said, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. 
But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. The grass withers, the flower fades. God's word abides forever. May his word be preached for you. Please be seated. So we get to this matter. You know, guys, uh, brothers and sisters, we have a great privilege. Christ is our identity. We belong to him. He belongs to us. We are Christians. We are believers. We are followers of Christ. But there are multiple vocations that Christ has given to us. He's, he's called us to be disciples. He's called us to be learners. He's called us to be soldiers. He's called us to be servants. And one of the things that we are focusing upon this year is he has called us to be stewards and our lifestyle is to be one of stewardship. So we looked at 1 Corinthians 4 that we just confessed to get the understanding of stewardship. Now, don't forget it. As you go back into that, when that is written, a steward, there were some certain, certain things that identified a steward. Number one, a steward owned nothing. He owned nothing. Number two, his master owned everything. Number three, the steward's job, his Business was to oversee, manage, oversee, manage, and be productive. Oversee, manage, and be productive. He was to be an investor, an overseer, manager, investor. Number four, he is accountable. Number five, he has one objective, and that objective is faithful, productive, and focused, faithful, productive, and focused with his master's uh, resources allocated to him. And he's done what the master said to do with him. He would take care of business for the master. Well, just translate that into being a Christian. Number one, what about us? Do we own anything? Our answer should be no. We own nothing. More than that, we are owned by the master. We have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Number two. Our master not only owns everything, he made everything. And it's all for his glory. Number three. We, what we have has been allocated to us by our master and he's given us instructions how to take care of business with what he has allocated to us. It's the Bible. It is a gospel saturated lifestyle led by the word of God and the spirit of God to do with what he has deposited in our care. Number four. We are accountable. It's called the judgment day. When Jesus returns, there's going to be a judgment. It will have two parts. One is the judgment of eternity for those who rejected him. And the other is a judgment of stewardship for those who are in the book of life. Number five. We want to be as stewards, faithful, focused and productive. So that's what we learned. Then we said, let's look at this in real life. And we looked at the life of Joseph. And guess what? Joseph's daddy made him, made him a steward. Then when his brothers sold, put him in a pit, sold him into slavery, 
Potiphar made him a steward. And then when he was put into jail, the jailer made him a steward. And then Pharaoh made him a steward. Everywhere he went, he was made a steward. Why? Because he had a lifestyle of stewardship for God. And it showed up in everything that he did. Now, with that real life example, I thought this would be a great time for us to go to a text where Jesus intentionally gives us information of stewardship that makes sure our stewardship is not duty, but delight. I'm so grateful for the book that uh, John Piper wrote on this. I'm grateful for the insights of um, one of my professors on this and his commentary on this, uh, particularly on this text about how stewardship moves from duty to the light. And there's there's something that has to happen. Let me ask you a question. When we talk about stewardship, let me ask you honestly, don't have to don't have to answer out. But do you see it as a duty or a delight? Now, it is a commandment. God hadn't suggested this. It's commandment. But do you see the commandment as duty, drudgery, minimize, maybe? Or do you see it as a delight for generosity, for engagement, to do business? For the master. With everything. That he has allocated to us. How do you see it? Well this text helps you to see it. Not only the duty as delight. But delight in the duty. Now how does it do that? Why does he do that? And how this parable given? So go back with me to that parable as it starts off. After these things. So that immediately ties us to what went before. Now what has happened? Well, this is an overall text. Jesus is on a journey and it's about to end. That journey began in Luke chapter 9, verse 57, when he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he has gone, and, the, and Luke has followed him with biblical incident, incident and teaching of Jesus after one after another. And now we've arrived at the end of the journey in Luke 19. He set his face to Jerusalem. He's gotten to Jericho. He makes the turn. You go up the hills to Jericho. It's the hills that they would sing the Psalms of of ascent on their way to worship as they ascended the hills and as they are now made that turn and they're moving up toward Jerusalem after these things that have happened in Jericho. What happened in Jericho? Yeah, we saw the miracle of a blind man. We saw the, um, the teaching of Jesus. We saw the conversion of Zacchaeus and a thief becomes a steward. I now quit stealing and I want to give this, give this, give this, give this. And after these things, of his conversion and most notably Jesus summing up of what had happened at Jericho the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost that's what I've come to do to seek and to save the lost now rejoice that Zacchaeus has been saved now with all of that having surrounded them he then stops <laughs> I can't tell you I have found with the help of a guide and my trips to Jericho, I have found the old road to Jericho. When I take people, I take them. 
And as I look up and down that road that ascends up to Jerusalem from Jericho, I've often wondered, where did he stop and do this? (laughs) Where did it happen? But he stopped. And what did he do? He gave them a story. But you can't understand the story until he gives you the reason and purpose for the story. Look at what he says. After these things, number one, in the context of what has happened and his statement, I've come to seek and to save the lost. He then proceeds to tell a parable. And now he gives two more reasons why he's doing this parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem. The journey was coming to its destination. And there he would begin a new journey to go to Calvary to save us from our sins. He's near Jerusalem, and he's not only near Jerusalem, he's also telling this story because they, not only the surrounding people, which is going to be obvious when he gets to Jerusalem, remember how they come out? Because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. In other words, he's telling them this story because he wants them to understand what happened in Jericho with a certain framework. Number two, because they're getting near Jerusalem and something's about to happen in Jerusalem that is going to astound them. The king is coming to die on a cross and suffer. That doesn't fit in what they have been told and what they're looking for. They're looking not for a messianic king that saves. They're looking for a political and military king. And they're looking for it now. Right now. That's what they're anticipating. And his disciples have not jettisoned that thinking. So he stops them. We're getting near. I want you to understand this before you see what happens in Jerusalem. And I want you to understand something. This is not a political kingdom. This is not a military kingdom. And it's not immediate. The kingdom has come, but not in its fullness. The king will have to leave and the king will have to return. So he brings this parable to them so that they can understand what's going to go on and He brings this parable so they understand what their responsibility is when the king leaves until he returns. So look with me, if you would, in the text and let's take let's go further now to see what the story itself is saying. Here's what the story says. The story says um, the, the parable that he's given is this. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. So there, here is a king apparent, a king inheritor. Here is a nobleman, the king that has come to receive his kingdom. He will come and, and leave and then he will return. Now, how will that happen? Well, here's what he says. He goes into a kingdom, to, to, into a country to receive for himself a kingdom and then he will return. So he's going to leave and he's going to return. And then when he returns, the kingdom is in its fullness. Now, what does he want to happen after he leaves until he returns? Well, he turns to his disciples. He turns to his servants and he says this. A nobleman went into a country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return, calling ten of his servants. Now, you say, Pastor, he's got twelve disciples there. Well, this isn't just for the disciples. 
10 is a number that represents completion. This will be not just for the 12, but for any and all disciples between his leaving and his returning. He's speaking to all of them. That's why the completion number of 10. And so calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas. And he said to them, engage in business until I come. So let's stop. Here are his disciples. Here are his servants. Ten, all of them, when I leave, I'm going to give you gifts. I'm going to allocate resources to you. I'm going to give you, and he does it with this mina. This mina I give to you. So he gives the mina. Let me stop here. There is another parable that's very similar to this, isn't it, you good Bible students? What is that parable? The talents. And a lot of people will tell you, well, this is the parable of the talents, but it's kind of misconstrued and misplaced. Eh, Wrong. Uh, We're going to do the parable of the talents this fall. But right now, we're just going to look at this. This is a different parable. It's got a different, it's different and it's got a different purpose. And I want you to see the purpose. And so here he says, each one, remember in the parable of the talents, one gets this amount, one gets that amount. This one, everybody gets the same thing. He gives them Amina. And as he gives them Amina, ten of them representing all of his disciples between his leaving and his returning. He says to them, now, I've given you this. Take care of business. Use it. He just turned them into stewards, overseers, managers, investors. Take this Mina and do business. Whatever I allocate to you, take it and use it. In this case, Amina. And I'm giving you this Mina, and I'm calling you to make use of what I have given to you. So now he calls them to oversight, faithfulness, productivity, and, and, uh, uh, and management. And so what else happens? Well, as he leaves, something else is going to be said. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. So he has adversaries, opponents. And that's this. These that ought to be receiving him say, no, we don't. His own reject him. And not only his own, but after he leaves, others, many will reject him. There is an active rejection of that king. You will not reign over us. I will reign over myself. You will not reign over us. Send the message to that king. We don't want you to reign. So you got two groups of people. Those who say you will not reign over us. And then those who are followers of the king and servants of the king, but have also now become stewards the king until he returns with what he allocates to them in the right use in their life as he tells them how to use it. Well, now let's uh, go quickly to the next part. So when he returned, now folks, stop, wait, hold it. I know we're going a little slow here, but hang with me. We're going to go faster. So he, he leaves and as he leaves, he gives gifts. And he tells them, do business with it, what I allocate to you. We don't know how long he was gone. God knows that date. We don't. So when he returns, he returns at an undisclosed date later. 
He returns at an unspecified date for us later. We do not know the date or time. But this text says that date time has now come and he returns. And when he returns, what happens? Accountability. Judgment. Two accountabilities. One, those who rejected him come before him with a lethal judgment. Those who belong to him come before him not with a lethal judgment because the king had already died for them before he left. But they do come for a stewardship judgment. We don't get the report of all ten of all those believers, but we do get three. Now, what do the three say to us? Let's look at it. Here's the first one. The first came up before him saying to, uh, I'm sorry, let me finish that. He, uh, so uh, he called the servants to whom he had given the money. He called them to him that he might know what they had noticed productivity gained by focus doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, faithful, good, good servant. Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful. He is a good, faithful, productive servant, focused and, product, and productive. You have gained, you have done this with what I gave you. Because you have been faithful in a very little, one mina, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came and said, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said in him, and you are to be over five cities. Now, stop and think, folks, but before I get to this third one, stewardship judgment, one mina. That's a dollar. Three hundred. It's a hundred drachmas. So we'll call it a dollar. And he turned it into ten. Pretty good. Thousand percent. Thousand percent productivity. And he looks at him and he says, here's your mina. It's now ten minas and I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it back to you. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you've been faithful and little, I'm going to give you what? Ten cities. I want you right now to think about that. One mina, ten minas, reward, ten cities in the new kingdom. Designated to rule and reign over with the king. The one with five had a 500% return and he got five cities. Now, let's go to the third one. The third one comes and he says to him, he said to him, um, and he said to him, um, then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. In other words, I'm not a steward. I'm a hoarder. I didn't steward. I hoarded. Well, why did you hoard? Here's his answer. Because I was afraid of you because you are a severe, that is, you're a man of inflexible standards. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not. So, of course, immediately you could say, and where did you get that mina? From whom did you get that mina? What do you mean? What? 
But you take and you did not uh, and and you take what um, what you uh, sorry I've lost my place. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. So he that Jesus said to him, I will condemn you. So he had been in the discipleship group, but now we find out he's not really one, just like Judas. He said, I will condemn you. I will condemn you. Why? Because of your own words. He said to them, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Then why did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? Your action, you would have at least invested it in the bank so I could get it with interest. No, you hoarded it as if your own and is as if it was your life. You didn't even act consistently with your excuse that I was a severe man. And then he says, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten. They said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that everyone who has more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. In other words, if they are not faithful, I will get to I will get it to the faithful. If God knows it gets through you, it gets to you. Now, I'm not talking about just about money. Because he allocates much more than that. Talents, experiences, opportunities, all of those things. And so now the principle to whom, when though you're faithful in little, is when God gives you the opportunity to be faithful in much. But there's another part of that judgment. Here it is, verse 27. But as for the enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. That judgment is eternal death in the lake of fire forever. So let me give you a takeaway here. The privilege, the privilege and rewards of a lifestyle of faithful, focused and productive stewardship are astonishingly disproportionate to the results of our stewardship. Can I show you the condemnation of the man who hoarded? Number one, he didn't act consistent with his excuse. It was about him, not about the king. Secondly, he didn't know the king. The same king who is holy is astonishingly gracious. In fact, lavishly gracious. Let's say you walked up to me and I was the emperor of the United States. What a thought. I want you to know if nominated, I will not run. If elected, I will not serve. But let's suppose for a minute we changed government and I was the emperor. And you came up to me and said... Harry, that dollar you gave me, look, I used it. Here's ten. And I say to you, wonderful. Well done, good and faithful servant. Here, I'm giving you Birmingham, Huntsville, Chattanooga, Charlotte, 
Savannah, Montgomery, Atlanta. Well, no, not Atlanta. Uh, Knoxville. And I give you ten cities because you were faithful with one dollar. The reward is disproportionate to the results of the stewardship. Your God is not only gracious when he came to save you before he left at Calvary. He is also gracious when he returns astonishingly with rewards that are that are affirming the results of our stewardship and they're disproportionate to the results of our stewardship and our stewardship would never have been there if he hadn't given us the resources and the strength and the direction to be good stewards to begin with. If stewardship of life is drudgery, you don't know the king. You don't know the king. Folks, there are two days that are crucial. Again, I thank uh, Dr. Ferguson for the insights. And that's built into this parable. There are two days that are crucial. If I say to you there are two fixed days that are crucial that will affect your life, and, you, and I say, what are those days? What would most people tell me are those two fixed days? Any suggestions? Birth, death. That's the perspective of the unbeliever. Your perspective is the day he rose and the day he returns. When he rose, I was saved because it was the shout that the cross had won the victory. And when he returns, not only did I receive grace upon grace, not only did I get what I didn't deserve before he left, when he returns, I will receive astonishingly beyond what I deserve as a steward with what he has given to me. That's what takes duty and makes it delight. The first day where he saved me before he left, resurrected and ascended, he went to that cross and not not only does he give me a mina that I don't deserve and one day a reward that I don't deserve? He gave me himself, which I didn't deserve on the cross. And I am his and he is mine. I was thinking through some things uh, R.C. said. And praise the Lord. He's with the Lord now. I think the, the, the last couple of years, if you're a mentor of Harry, get ready to go meet Jesus. And, uh, but I remember this that he shared one time. About, and it, it awakened something in my mind. When I, at the First Alliance Church, we were always doing improvements. And there's a red clay hill. There's red clay all over uh, Mecklenburg County. And there's a red clay hill. And we'd get out of the youth group, run to the hill, and play no video games in those days, praise the Lord. We did King of the Hill. Does anybody know the objective of King of the Hill? It's interesting to me. 
The king of the hill is the one that gets on the hill and pushes anybody down that wants to get up on the hill beside him. That's the king of the hill. And our parents are inside the church and we just left our, our youth group lessons and they had been telling us, oh no, there's a king who went up on a hill to die so that you could rise up on that hill with him. There's your king. No political, not immediate, but your king that died for you. That makes stewardship, not drudgery, but joy. And now he says, let me tell you, that king's coming back. And there's going to be a day of accountability. And in that day, your stewardship, it'll be imperfect. It'll be uneven. It will not listen. You won't even be profitable because you've only done with what he gave you to begin with. But you can be faithful. You can be focused. You can be productive with that which he has entrusted to you. That marriage, that spouse, those children, that spiritual gift, those experiences, the gospel, the word of God. The Spirit of God. Think of all these things that the risen Savior who saved you now deposits within you. Now He's given that to you. Don't hoard it. Steward it. Use it. And we all, having given it and using it, will stand before Him and with the same humility of these men. Did you notice what they said? They didn't say, well, I took my mina and this is why I bring back the tin. No, no. Did you hear what they said? Your mina. I never owned anything. It was yours all along. Your mina has now earned. Notice, not I earned. His mina earned. You, with what you gave me, earned through what I did. Ten minas for you. And it's all about him. Then he lavishly rewards you disproportionately for all eternity. I used to, can you imagine that day? Oh my goodness. What an absolutely glorious day. Now think, please think of your stewardship that way. The first day he won the victory. And he's coming again to receive the kingdom. And there's going to be a judgment. And those that don't know him, who refuse to surrender to him, face a judgment of unending death in the torment of hell. Folks, i got something else to say in these last, moment, last couple of minutes. But before I say it, are you there? You haven't surrendered to Jesus? Who gave himself to save sinners like us. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came to heal the sick. <laughs> Have you surrendered? Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm yours. And praise God, you're mine. I don't want you at that day on that side of the judgment. But let's step to the other side, the stewardship side. And I stand before him and I give account for the wife he gave me, 
The children he gave me. The grandchildren he gave me. The spiritual gifts he gave me. My calling as a pastor to a marvelous church that I did not deserve and I don't deserve. The gospel he gave to me. The spirit of God he gave to me. The great commission he gave to me. The great commandment he gave to me. Encounters, divine appointments every single day he gives to me. Experiences to mold me and shape me he gave to me. Did I steward them with faithfulness, not perfection, faithfulness, focus, and by His grace, earning through His power that much more to give back to Him? That first day is a glorious day. It reminds me of the day of uh, when he first gave me my salvation. The day that those Marines hit Iwo Jima. And by the third day, they had got on Mount Suribachi. And the headlines in the Chicago paper the next day, the battle of Iwo Jima is over. Victory. Because the flag had been raised on the mountain. And they were right. Those boys won that battle on that day. But there was still two and a half months of pillbox by pillbox, trench by trench, 22,000 casualties, 21 medals of honor, yet to be won. Our king won the victory. He's defeated the enemies and he has saved us from our sins. He has gone away. He will return to receive that kingdom that is now filling up as his people through stewards or as stewardship are being used to fill that kingdom as they steward what he has given to them by his power. And when he returns, then he comes. And as we give our account, the rewards are beyond comprehension. To the results of our stewardship. We yet have that to encounter from our God. Folks, I just have to say it. If stewardship is a drudgery, and it has been in my life. Folks, I'm not above this. Thinking through, what do you do with your spiritual gift? How do you stir up your gift? How do you use it? What do I do in right husbandship and marriage and parenting and stewarding the children? But praise God, you can, you can, I remember as a youth pastor, I remember I went to this church, I won't name the denomination, it was just about to die, there were six young people, God was gracious, started bringing in all kind of young people, and it wasn't long before I got a phone call, and I had to go to the council of the church, and they said, you know, um, Pastor, uh, Miss, uh, Miss, I wasn't a pastor, I was in college. Mr. Reader, um, we thank you for being our youth director, but we got a problem. I said, what? And they said, uh, our kids are choosing these small little Christian schools. Our kids are talking about going to missions. Our kids are talking about, listen, we brought you in here. Well, let me give you the bottom line. We brought you in here to tell them about Jesus so they don't get pregnant, don't get into drugs, and don't get drunk. And we just don't embarrass us. This is, this is going too far. Our kids going to mission fields. They didn't know about stewardship. Where would God use my child? To raise your child in the nurture and admonition. Not of a university. Not of a vocation. 
but of the Lord who will lead them into that vocation. Stewardship of your children, stewardship of your gifts, stewardship of your finances, stewardship of your talents, physical talents, spiritual talents, that God has given those to you. And you say, God, I refuse to wrap it up in a handkerchief. I refuse to wrap it up and stick it away. I am not going to be a hoarder. I want to be a faithful, productive, fixed uh, overseer and shepherd and steward for the Lord Jesus. I want not only the delight of duty, but the duty itself is a delight in and for the Lord. I want to hear what Peter says. Lord, we've given all up. And Jesus says, what you have given is nothing to what you will receive a hundredfold in the life to come. That's what I want. That's how I want to live. And that's the way I desire to live. You just don't know him if it's a, if it's drudgery. So get in the word and get in the spirit and get under the word and meet him and test him. He's faithful and will make you faithful with joy. When I was in the first grade, Greensboro, North Carolina, my dad was in the Carolina League. I walked home from uh, first grade. We just started school. And I walked home from school. Walked to school. Walked home to school. Five miles in the snow, uphill both ways. I'd always get home, and my grandmother was there, and she had my little black dog. <laughs> had a little red. Now this wasn't a real dog. This was a you know, the dog. Black, furry, uh, with the cotton on it and all that. Little red tongue sticking out, button eyes. She would have him and put me on her lap, put that on me. By the way, come to my house. I'll show you on the bed. I still got the dog. He's getting a little old, but I got him. And we would sit there on her lap and she would sing and tell me to sing. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't Jesus, my Lord, wonderful? Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what is recorded in God's Word. Isn't He wonderful? That's what will change it. Meet and know your wonderful Savior. That third man, he didn't know him. You can. And take great joy in his lavish love for you. Let's pray. Lord, would you just speak to our hearts in these few moments? My dear friend, if you're here today and you say, you know, Pastor, I haven't taken that first step of surrender and I want to. I want to tell Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I want to tell Jesus, I know you died for my sin. And Pastor, I'd love to pray with someone. We have some wonderful folks that will be up here to pray with you. And my brothers and sisters, any of you that are dealing with any issues, they're here to pray with you and for you. So make that commitment to Christ. And then, Lord, would you allow those of us who know you 
to thank you that our stewardship is not only over all of life and in life and for your glory, using what you've allocated to us, not owning it, but overseeing it, productively using it, investing it for the kingdom to glorify the king. Help us be faithful. Help us to be productive. Help us to be focused on him. Help us to say no to any hoarding. We don't own anything. And we're not going to hoard it. Help us to use it for him. And Father, help us know him. Who now has brought the kingdom and saved us at Calvary. Who one day will come back to another mountain, the mountain of olives. And will receive us unto himself. And in that day we might hear, well done. Not perfectly done, well done. Good and faithful servant. And Father, in the joys of the lavish rewards that are not proportionate, that are beyond proportionate to what we have done, we long for that day because in that day we'll just gather them up and use them to worship Him. Praise God. From whom all blessings flow. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.